Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. And as we go, it is VC Go this season, and we are just now a couple weeks away from our Valley Creek Go weekend. Just want to continue to share this with you on May the 21st and May the 22nd. That's two weekends away. Uh, we are looking to serve in a variety of ways around our community. Uh, we have Opportunities for each and every one of you to serve in a time slot Saturday morning on May the 21st or Saturday afternoon or even Sunday morning, May the 22nd. We're going to spend all three of those time slots out in the community doing a variety of things, uh, painting, doing some food sorting over at Feeding America, cleaning up some uh, various uh, grounds around people's homes, we're doing some tree removal. We're building a handicap ramp, sorting clothes, doing a breakfast. We're cooking food for widows and shut-ins. We're preparing goodie bags for various folks in nursing homes. As you can imagine, there is plenty to do and plenty of ways to serve. And then Sunday night, May the 22nd, we're going to gather together all of our campuses, both here and over at South Wilson. We're going to gather here. Both our 9 o'clock and 10.30 worship service will all be together along with our South Wilson team. And we're going to come together at 5 for an all-together worship service and then a barbecue. Uh-oh, barbecue. I've heard Valley Creek knows how to barbecue. I don't know. It's going to be my first go with you guys as a barbecue, but can y'all barbecue? Uh, well, maybe y'all don't know about barbecue around here. I don't know. I've been told. I've been told. So we have a table out in the foyer that we'd love for you to come by. We are hoping for over 100 folks to serve that weekend. We're already over 60 who have registered, so we have a way to go. But we would love to chat with you after this service right at the Valley Creek Go uh, table, and we can get you squared away with all the details. Can you turn to your neighbor and can you tell them it's go time? Let's try that again. Turn to somebody and say, it's go time. Now, I want you to say to somebody else, I'm ready to go. That does not mean the service is over. It just means you're ready to go. Valley Creek, go. I do want to say again, a very, very happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers and stepmoms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms, adoptive moms, foster moms, and spiritual moms. I will tell you that every one of those titles is a title of honor and a title of worth. And so I thank you for each of you godly women who are here in many, many ways uh, serving and sharing your lives with each one of us. Uh, I will tell you personally, kind of transparently, I don't have a relationship with my biological mother. I've not seen her since I was 12 years old. However, there will be a phone call today from my adoptive mother, and she'll check in with me today. We're not by blood, but we're by faith. And she has taken her role in my life as a godly woman who cared for someone who did not have a mother in their life. I got to see my mother-in-law yesterday, and I know some of you think that's terrible, but I love my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. She came and spent the day with us, and I got to sit with her on the sidelines at a soccer game and hold the umbrella over as we froze and shivered. And, oh, we had a wonderful day. And 
Uh, of course, my, my wife is a godly, godly mother. I'm thankful for all of them. How many of you can just raise your hand and say you're thankful to God for a godly woman in your life? Amen, amen. Well, I am as well. And this morning, I, I want to speak to you about a godly woman in the Scripture. Now, whether or not she was a mother, we're not told. But there is no doubt she was a godly woman who lived a godly life and who exemplified what it means to go by serving. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And the woman I want to share with you about this morning is found in verse 36 through 42. And her name is Tabitha. Tabitha. Now, Tabitha has just a few verses of Scripture ascribed to her life. And actually, she finds her life between some of the heavyweights that we know of in the Bible. Just before her life is shared about, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, one of the most influential men that God used to bring the gospel to literally the ends of the earth. On the other side of her life, we have the work of the apostle Peter, Peter the Rock, the one that Jesus said his confession was critical in knowing what it means that he was the son of God sent from above. And we have Peter's life on display in the portion of scripture after Tabitha. But in between those two pillars, we have a woman who, in my opinion, is just as strong and just as formidable as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Her name, Tabitha, is what we know of her as, but she had a nickname or another name, Dorcas. Uh, can you turn to somebody around you and say, you're a dork? Now, maybe you don't want to say that. But today, that is the most of complimentary descriptions. I, I grew up at Lewisport Baptist Church over in Hancock County, and there was a women's Sunday school class named the Dorcas class. And as a little kid, I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I'd go by their classroom, and there on this big side wall was a banner with their name, the Dorcas class. And I thought, oh, that's where they send all the dorks. What little did I know, that was a group of godly women who were using that term to represent a life of service and of devotion to Christ. Because the class was named after this woman of Scripture, a formidable woman of service and of reputation. Let me read about her life in these verses, Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 42. The scripture says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping 
and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her hand, or he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. I just want to share a few observations this morning about this godly woman. And I want to start with the name. Who was Tabitha? Who was Tabitha. Well, the scripture clearly tells us that she is a disciple, verse 36, in the town of Joppa, and that her name, Tabitha, when translated, means Dorcas. Dorcas. Now, Dorcas was actually her Greek name. Tabitha was her Hebrew name. Very common in this day to have two names, Simon Peter, Levi Matthew. Very common to have two, Saul and Paul. Her name, Tabitha, Hebrew, Greek, Dorcas, and it means gazelle. Now, see, that's more beautiful than Dorcas, isn't it? Now, turn to a lady around you and say, you're a beautiful gazelle. Oh, come on, guys. Some of y'all could use some lessons on how to speak wonderfully nice things to the ladies in your life. You're a beautiful gazelle. Oh, some of you are thinking automatically about deer season now. That's what you're thinking about. Going out hunting. Well, Tabitha or Dorcas with this beautiful name Gazelle, she lives in a city called Joppa. And Joppa is a seacoast town about 30 miles from Jerusalem. And her defining characteristic, the thing that she is known for among all the people of Joppa, particularly all the followers of Jesus in Joppa, is that she has a heart for other people. She's got a big heart for serving others. Verse 36, the rest of it tells this. And, and forgive me, but English translators, Bible translators in English, they cannot figure out how to describe her accurately because the words used in the original language don't have a direct connotation in our English language. And so the translators do different things with verse 36. The English Standard Version says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. The New Living, which is a paraphrase, tries to bring it in a modern sense. That she was always, keyword, always doing good and helping the poor. Probably the New American Standard does the best, as close as it is to the actual text of the original language. This woman, Tabitha, Dorcas, was excelling in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually, which she did over and over and over, that she excelled, that she was always doing good for the poor, always showing kindness and charity to others, always helping those who needed help. She was so committed to this that the description of her life is she excelled and she did this habitually over and over and over and over. 
Man, aren't you thankful for women in your life and women in Valley Creek Church that excel and habitually act in service to other people? Amen? Man, we got some here at Valley Creek, don't we? We do. Y'all can say amen to that. We have some women in this church, and we are so thankful to God for them, who habitually excel in showing kindness and charity to others. That's just who they are. And we're thankful for them. And that church there in Joppa was thankful for her. Her life was descriptive of serving people over and over and over again. And we actually know which group she served the most. Which group she served the most. Because the scripture tells us that something terrible happens in her life. Something difficult, death. And because of her loss in the congregation, this group of believers in Joppa are willing to do anything to get her back. To have her help to have her healed. So they learned that the apostle Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, is just 10 miles away. He's just down the road a bit. And they send some to get him and bring him back without delay. And when Peter arrives, he finds that she has already been washed for burial, has been prepared for burial, has been placed in an upper room. And there, when he enters the room, we see this place is filled with a certain group of people. It's a room filled with widows. Verse 39 tells us that when Peter arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping. There were widows weeping over the loss of Tabitha. I want you to lean in with me here. This is going to take just a minute of developing a, of an idea that I think is true to the Bible and shows how important her life is. The ministry of deacon began in Acts chapter 6. We're in Acts chapter 9. The ministry of deacon began because in the city of Jerusalem there were widows who were Greek widows, and Hebrew widows. Can you understand that as the New Testament church birthed, there were believers coming to faith in Christ from two different ethnic groups, the Jewish people and the Greek people. And up until this point, while they worked together and lived beside each other and interacted in commerce, often they didn't worship together and they certainly didn't fellowship together. There was a distance and so the Hebrew widows, the Jewish widows, would be cared for by the new believers in Jesus. But the Greek widows, those from the other side of the tracks, if you will, were being left out. And so the original design of the deacon ministry was to care for the widows, both halves, but particularly the Greek widows who were being left out of distribution of food. I mean, a woman who had lost her husband in this time and in this day, was destitute. I mean, they could be enslaved. They could be victimized. The children could be taken because she couldn't provide for them. She could be enslaved and be put into prostitution if some care was not provided. 
And so the first church, the church that birthed after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, we're just days, I mean, not even months away from Jesus going into heaven. One of the first priorities is to develop the deacon ministry, the table servant ministry, that's what deacon means, to make sure food is delivered to widows of all types. Now this took place in Jerusalem. But where are we in Acts chapter 9? We're in Joppa, about 30 miles away. And the ministry of the deacon has not got there yet. But guess who is filling the gap? Oh yes, Tabitha. This lady, this gazelle, the name Dorcas, this beautiful woman is serving in the gap of deacon without the title, without the role, without the official blessing. She's doing the work of serving widows because that's where the need is. That's where she feels her gifts can be most used. Friends, let me tell you, you don't need a title to serve. I might need to say that again. You don't have to be a deacon to serve somebody in the name of Christ. Anyone can serve if they see a need. You don't have to wait for the church to put you in an ordination or put you in some ceremony or put some blessing on you. You don't have to have a certificate on the wall to serve somebody in the name of Christ. We are all called to serve. We are all called to use the gifts and resources we have given by God to bless and encourage people. Just because there were no deacons in Joppa didn't mean there were no needs or widows in Joppa. If anything, Tabitha saw a need and she filled it because that's what God had called her to do. I mean, James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. I mean, she was just doing what she could do for a group of women who were vulnerable. We don't know if she's married. We don't know if she's a mother. We don't know if possibly she's a widow herself. All we know is she's serving a need that is present in her faith community and in her town. And friends, I'm so challenged by that. that She didn't wait for anybody to put her a title before she was willing to serve. And we know what she was doing. Peter arrives and then the widows are in that upper room and they're crying and they're weeping. And and some of that was in the normal progression of a funeral that you cry and you weep over the loss. But they're doing something else. Oh, this is my favorite part of the passage. My favorite part of her story. Verse 39. They're all standing there weeping and they begin showing what she has made. They begin showing Peter examples of things that she has made. What has she made? Verse 39, and the widow stood there weeping beside him or beside her and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. She made things. She made things. You might call her a seamstress. You might call her a, a, a person with tactile ability that she can Bring together, making a garment, making a coat, making a shirt, making something with her hands. She has some skill in the making of clothing. And she's doing this as a way to minister 
to these widows such that, oh, she has passed. And what are the widows holding? They're holding those garments that she made. Well, I, I, I brought something with me today. Anytime I bring this bag, you know there's going to be a little object lesson, okay? I used to be a children's pastor, and the kids in my church loved when I brought my little bag because you knew there was going to be a demonstration. Uh, this garment here, blanket, was made for my youngest son by a beautiful, godly woman named Miss Holly Cole. I have a picture of Miss Holly. There she is. Oddly enough, that's a photo of her caring for a widow in our church. I served at a church for five years, and Jennifer and I were newly married, and we started having babies. And Miss Holly made this blanket for Ethan, who is now 14, 14. And he'd be a little embarrassed to know that he still had this in his bed this morning when I took it away from him. <laughs> and it was still warm because it was wrapped up in his arms. Now, he's 14. This blanket has been part of our family uh, since he came into our life. And every night for 14 years, he has slept with this blanket. Every night. When he's sad, he wants this blanket. When he is sick, he wants two things. This blanket and his mama. <laughs> even, even when we go on vacation. I mean, you know, we travel a little bit. We go to national parks. We like to go out and see the world. Guess who else joins us on those trips? This blanket. It's affectionately known as his mini. Now, I don't know where that word came from, mini, but that's what the name of this is. And this thing is precious to us. Uh, Jennifer has said, if he doesn't take it to college with him, she'll be surprised. And we will hopefully keep it for a long time. Miss Holly, if you see her photo there, has an amazing story. Uh, early in her life, she contracted a series of childhood cancer problems that resulted in her having over 30 surgeries before she was 19 years of age. She nearly died four or five times. But through God's grace, through God's power, she's now well into her 50s, almost 60 now. She has grandbabies. And one of the ministries she has with every family who is growing and starting their families with kiddos is she makes a blanket for the kids in that church. I mean, there's probably hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of Miss Holly blankets in that congregation. And I will tell you, it takes time. This, these are just, this is just yarn and knots. But to me, it represents love and care and kindness. She made something for our son. She actually made something for our older son. And, and he wouldn't let me bring it to church with me today. It's hidden away in a safe, safe spot. But what I love about Miss Holly and what I think about this blanket is the hours it took for her to make it. And it was not for her own kids. It was not for her own grandkids. It was not for a niece or a nephew. It was not for someone that was even related to her in, the, in any way. It was a care and compassion and kindness for someone that she was just a part of a fellowship with. 
And I want to bring this to you and I want to challenge you with her life and her story. These kinds of things make a difference in the lives of those around us. When we serve using the resources that God has given us, using the talents and the gifts that God has given us, when we use that to serve and to encourage others, it shines a light, not for the person, but for Christ. It shines a light for God in their hearts and in their homes. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's masterpiece, God's handiwork. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, for a moment, friends, imagine God in his crafting and in his forming and his shaping of your heart and transforming of your life and giving you a new identity in Jesus and filling you with his spirit and giving you talents and abilities and skills that come directly from his hand. All of that handiwork, all of that crafting is such that he has good works for you to do that were prepared millennia ago. There are people in your community and in your town and in this congregation who are designed by God to be the recipient of the gifts that he's given you. And it's not for your glory. It's not for your reputation. It's to shine the light of Christ and serve in his name. We go by serving And Jesus takes whatever we have and he multiplies it. Oh, I think, friends, I think of the little boy in John chapter 6 who when there were 5,000 people who need to be fed, all he had was a lunch sack with a couple fish and a few loaves. Not much more than a couple sandwiches. But in the hands of Jesus, oh, watch this, friends. But in the hands of Jesus, a little lunch, a little sacrifice, a little gift becomes multiplied to feed thousands of people. What you have, what gifting you have, what talent you have, you may view it as something small, something insignificant, something like a little lunch of a little boy That in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of our Savior, he can multiply it, he can extend it, he can magnify it 10, 20, 50, 100 times in a way that you would never, ever imagine. But it begins with you making the decision to serve. It begins with you making the decision to offer what you have. It begins with you making the decision to use whatever you can to help. God has someone, many someones, designed for you to serve, designed for you to bless, designed for you to encourage. It just begins by you deciding to go by serving. Well, let me conclude this message on the life of Dorcas. If I can invite the praise team to come and join me. The sad reality is that her life ended short. Her life ended short. Verse 37 tells us that in those days she became ill and she died. She gets sick. And I would interpret that to be that she 
got sick and died quickly. Surprisingly. Not long drawn out, but something that has a speed to it. And even as the people of the Joppa church are preparing the funeral and preparing her body and weeping and mourning her loss, they remember that Peter is not too far away and they have already sent someone and they have hoped that possibly he could come. No assurance that she would be raised from the dead. I'm not certain that was ever in their hearts or minds. I'm not certain that they ever thought that if Peter came, maybe there would be a resurrection experience. But nevertheless, they send word. And I only interpret that to mean they loved her so much and she had given so much that the thought of her not being in their faith family was devastating to them. So that they made a request. And as we see from the scripture, while her life ended very quickly and very soon, Her life was remade. Her life was remade. I mean, certainly Peter arrives and he sends out all those who are mourning. He pushes those outside of the room exactly as Jesus did with the little girl in Jairus' home that Peter observed himself when they sent out the mourners. And using the exact same words that Jesus used in that little girl's life, He says, Tabitha, arise, awake. And she comes back to life. And the scripture says that he takes her out, verse 41, and he calls all the saints and all those widows to see her. And he presents her alive. Oh, don't miss this, friends. And the scripture says, and many and many became followers of Christ From that day, there was something about her resurrection that even compelled the gospel to go forward more. And I want to close on this thought. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us were living a life unto ourselves. But praise be to God, we were transformed and made alive through Christ. And by Christ living in us and giving us purpose and giving us hope and giving us gifts and talents, we then are remade. And I don't know this to be true. You can call me a Bible heretic if you like. I don't have any biblical instruction to back up what I'm about to say. But what I think, and maybe I'll ask one day, is I think when she rose up, she went right back to the things she was doing before she died. Making things for widows, serving in that church, blessing those around her, using what little talent she have to be a light for Christ. I think she was remade and she went right back to work. Because those who have been transformed by the blood of Christ, they're not selfish, they serve. They don't focus on themselves. They try to focus on others. They say, I don't have much in the way of long life or I'm not gonna be here forever, but the time I have, the breath I have, the abilities I have, I'm gonna use to be a light for Christ and I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability until I see him face to face. And I just wanna ask, would that be descriptive of your life? Would it be descriptive of my life that we go by serving 
Friends, you don't have to have all the money in the world. You don't have to have the ability to sing on a Nashville stage. You don't have to have some corporate title that makes you prestigious. You just have to make the decision. Are you going to use what you have to be a blessing to others? Are you going to use the talents God's given you to be a light for him? I promise you there are people in your family and in your church and in your community that God has designed for you to serve. It just all begins with whether or not you're willing to give. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads for a moment. And I have one final question. And we're going to sing a song of response. And if God is moving on your heart, you feel free to pray. You feel free to come to this altar. You feel free to make any decision. But I just want to ask you this one question. When you see Jesus face to face, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he say that? Will he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little things. And I give you greater things. Or would the words be something different? That you've been unwilling to use the talents and gifts and Skills that God has given you to serve anyone but yourself. Have you been a person, a follower of Jesus that has demonstrated a life of service such that he would say, well done, well done. The truth is all of us have been designed by God for service. It's just whether or not we're willing to give and to go. So Lord, I come to you now. I pray that you would take this message. I feel like this message was my two fish and a few loaves. And I need you to multiply it. Because I want and I pray and I know your heart is for Valley Creek to be a place and to the men and women and brothers and sisters of Valley Creek to be a people of service. To be a people that go by serving. Lord, if there be any decision that needs to be made now, I pray that we would respond appropriately to you and to your spirit and that we'd be obedient to your call in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.